Here we are in Acts chapter 13. We're going to try to pick up where we left off, and I'll hopefully, as you're, as you're finding your way there to Acts chapter 13, give you a little bit of the background of, of what we've been trying to see in the book of Acts. That is literally Acts, the actions of the apostles. So this is a book that tells the story of what the very first followers of Jesus did in response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this is what the first followers of Jesus, the first Christians, looked like. In fact, the first followers of Jesus looked a certain way, and it was only in a couple of chapters ago that people even called them Christians. And even then, it was a term of mockery. It was a term, they're like Jesus. They're Christians. They're little Jesuses. It's like almost to say, wow, those people, you know, you know those people, the way they're acting and the way they treat one another and the things they're saying, it reminds us of Jesus. And for some people, that was simply a way to mock them, but it also was a way that they identified these first followers of Jesus as following specifically in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we want to learn as much as we can from the life and this example given to us in the book of Acts from the first followers of Jesus, because if we're going to be a part of a, a movement that's coming to life like, uh, like Connection Church is, which by the way, um, if you, you've been with us, we, we've been meeting like this since we launched on Easter for four months. So Baby, Baby Connection Church is now four months old. Um, we're not quite, I, I don't know what stage that is. I, I, I just sound like an idiot if I tried to make an analogy to actual babies. Um, so I, we're four months old, right? I almost said, almost said we were toddlers, but that's not right. That's not. We can read an encyclopedia. So I don't know what you were doing when you were four months old, but that's what I was doing. So we're four months old. God has been doing some exciting things. I hope you just get an opportunity to look around you. Um, God has is, is, is brought so many faces into this room that I just, man, every night I'm just grateful for you. I'm grateful for your friendship. And God has, over the last four months and even beyond that, given me a family in you that I didn't have before. And I can't tell you how awesome that is. Um, And so I'll just just let that out there. And and, and you can think in terms of, uh, man, we're we're just a baby church. And some of the things that we do may seem silly, but we're, we're a baby coming to life. And the reason we're digging so deeply and relying so heavily on the words of this book of Acts is that if the analogy may play out to where, like in a real baby, uh, the first year of life is this pivotal moment where nutrition, nutrients, and and patterns of behavior are very vital. And, And the patterns that begin to be set in place for a child for that first year are important and may have impact in that child's life for the rest of that person's life. And if if that's possibly true for us as a baby church, then we want to make sure we are living off of the most nutritious, the, you know, the, the most nutrient-rich, the, the healthiest possible things that we can get. And so we want to every single week dig into God's Word and see what God speaks to us through the first actions of the first followers of Jesus. And if we're going to fight over anything, we want it to be we're going to fight over the good news of Jesus and how awesome it is and how great it is and how it applies to our lives. And we're not going to fight over things like the color of the carpet or steeples, right? So if you've been a part of a church, you get that joke. And if you don't, pat yourself on the back because you are fortunate, right? God has delivered you from nonsense. Because it's possible, if, if we call ourselves a church, it's possible for us to have loyalties all across the board that in fact might be a distraction from Jesus and the good news of what He's done. And as best as we can, we want to defend and protect ourselves at our early age from any kind of distraction that would pull us away from walking in Jesus' footsteps. So up to this point, Jesus had 
He's thrown out a command to his first followers, and he says, look, follow me, but as you do so, you're going to be witnesses everywhere you go, so that the story of what I've done for you and what I've accomplished for you will be the thing that you share every opportunity you get. And up to this point, these people have gone to the religious houses of, of Israel, but they've also, in the last couple of chapters, widened their sphere of influence. And now they're talking to people who aren't religious people that they will call Gentiles, people that maybe don't have a religious IQ or maybe in some sense they they worship someone other than the one God. And and as these people come and they meet these people, they tell them about Jesus and these first followers of Jesus begin to multiply. And many, it says, over and over and over again are added to the number of those following in Jesus' footsteps. But it's uh, it's not all kittens and bunnies. Sometimes this stuff actually goes bad. In fact, people have lost their lives as a result. Because the people who are in power, when they begin to lose the influence as these Christians start winning over people to following Jesus, they begin to be insecure. They begin to want the power back. And some are even killed, some beheaded, some are stoned. But I want us to read through Acts chapter 13 and maybe pick up where we left off in this movement as people who are far from God, who didn't know that God loved them and didn't know that God cared anything for them. Maybe they didn't even believe God existed. They begin to hear who Jesus is and they begin to see in the lives of these followers what Jesus can do. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. There was Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit, that is God's Spirit, said to them, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and after praying, they laid their hands on them and then they sent them off. So of these five leaders, these guys that had apparently the gift to to pass out prophecy and to teach, of these five guys are these two that seem to stand out. And if you'll remember for the last couple of weeks, we've we've seen a close-up on these two particular guys by the name of Saul and a guy by the name of Barnabas. Saul, if you'll remember, was on the way as a terrorist to terrorize some of these followers of Jesus. He was a part of a religious elite. He was a part of a group of people that were trying to kind of cleanse all of the heresy they were trying to cleanse, all of the people who maybe believed something different than them. He was a devout Jewish man, a teacher, a Pharisee. And he was on his way to find other Christians who had strayed from this Jewish religion, and he was trying to put them in prison or even have them stoned to death. And on the way, as he was on the way, Jesus himself appeared to Saul, blinded him with a light, and told him to stop persecuting him. But instead... He was to go, and even though he was blinded, he was led by the hand to a man's house, and he found there miracles to take place that gave him sight and gave him a mission to share his testimony of what Jesus had shown him, that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was not dead, but instead Jesus was alive. In addition, there was a guy by the name of Barnabas, and what we know about Barnabas is that he was an encourager. It says that he was known amongst the people as an encourager. That was, that's literally his name, and that's, that's what people called him it, you might relate to this. You might know someone like this. Every time you meet them, you kind of come away just feeling better, right? Just feeling better about life, feeling better about things going on, especially in this case, maybe feeling better about what God is doing, feeling a sense of hope or a sense of peace, even amidst the chaos in our lives. 
Now, the best way maybe to illustrate that kind of personality is maybe you know the opposite. Sucks the life out of you every time you hang out with them, right? <laughs> don't look at them. Do not. If they're in here, don't. And if, if you're married to them, do not look at them right now. It's not cool. Don't do that, right? But this guy was not that, right? He was the guy that breathed life into people. And every time that you hung around him, you just felt better. You, you, you were encouraged. And, and God seemed to be using him and gave him the gift to, to encourage And so these two guys we know a little bit about, they seem to stand out in the crowd here. And they have a little bit of history. You see, right now we're in Antioch. We're in Antioch. And and Jesus gave the command to his followers at first that they're to tell their story in Jerusalem where they lived. And then they were to go to their neighbors in Judea. But then it says they ought to go to Samaria. Samaria is like kind of symbolic for us, for anybody you don't really like. That's Samaria. For the Jews, that was the Samaritans. Did not want to associate with them. They were impure people. They, they lived by a different code, and so they weren't to be touched or hung around with. But as if that weren't enough, Jesus said, don't, not, not, don't only for you to go to your enemy, but go to the ends of the earth. And right now we were in Antioch, which if you look at a map, you've got Jerusalem. Here's Samaria, place we don't want to go. And then there's Antioch, which is in present-day Syria. And these people have gone straight past their enemies, and now they're in uncharted territory to people I guess would begin to qualify for Jesus' commands as the ends of the earth. If you remember, this is really good, really, really good news. Right? If you remember from the Bacon chapter, you'll never forget it now, will you? If God can look at something like a nasty pig rolling around in its you-know-what and can make something amazing like bacon then it's a lesson for us to know that even those that are far from God, that maybe don't have the right religious upbringing, maybe they weren't born in the right part of the world, doesn't exclude them from the family of God. And if God can make that writhing, nasty pig who wallows in its own you-know-what into something righteous, then the good news for us is that He can look at you and I in our sin and our rebellion and our imperfections and failures and by His Son and the grace of Jesus Christ declare you and me righteous. That's amazingly good news. Bigger even than bacon. Right? That's amazing news. So, so this word has traveled outside of the religious circles, and now people, I don't know about you, but p- people like me and people from my family who have kind of a sordid history are now hearing this good news that it doesn't matter what family you're born into, it doesn't matter where you're born into the world. Even if you're like me and your family tree has some some jail time included into it, you're not, you're not excluded from this righteousness. Instead, Jesus gives mercifully, He gives bountifully and generously the mercy that He has died on the cross for you and I to have. And even though you may be far from God, these people in Antioch are beginning to see that this good news of Jesus is even for them. And so as Barnabas goes, it says in, in chapter 11, if you remember, uh, uh, chapter 11, Barnabas goes, verse 22 Uh, And he goes from Jerusalem, sent out by the church in Jerusalem to Antioch to encourage what was going on there. He said that he had proved himself to be an encourager. And then in that chapter, we find out that when he came and he saw the grace of God at work in Antioch, he was glad and he began to teach and, of course, encourage them for about a year's time. And as he was there, he, being humble, and I pray we're the same way, he needed some help. And so he sought out this guy by the name of Saul, who used to be a terrorist, but now was one of the largest proponents of this good news of Jesus. And he goes and he finds Saul, and so 
Saul and Barnabas begin to love the people in Antioch, and they begin to be the most important people. In fact, in in chapter 11, it says that as a result of Saul and Barnabas serving in Antioch, the church there began to grow, that people began to hear the good news of Jesus, and many were added to the kingdom of God because of their influence. So why do I tell you that? Here we are in Antioch. We're, We're in chapter 13 looking at a story about a church in Antioch, and the two most valuable people the church in Antioch, a man who was great at discipling people, a man who was a great teacher, a great theologian by the name of Saul, and then there was this other guy who was a great encourager who built up and edified everyone he hung around. These are the two most important people in this church. And I don't know if you caught that in verse 3, but they kicked them out. Did you catch that? The most important people probably essential and vital for the health of that particular church. And they, hearing the voice of God's Spirit, hearing the leading of God's Spirit, and sensing that God was doing something, they selflessly set aside their two most important people and they sent them away. So here we are in this particular chapter of this book, telling us a story about different churches and different movements of God's Spirit, including Antioch. And over and over and over again, we see this spirit of multiplication. This sense of unselfishness. This belief that if God's going to do something, God's going to make it happen, and He's going to use people in ways that they never thought possible. And He's going to provide resources from sources that were never suspected to be possible. And I point that out to you because they seemed to be on a mission. They seemed to have an idea and a vision for what God was doing that even was beyond their own self-interests. Now, there's obvious ways in which that was true. Did you, did you hear that part? Did you hear that part, what they were doing? It said twice there, they were fasting. We're fasting. Now, there's more to be talked about this later. This is something that, that I, I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but essentially, if you've ever heard about fasting, fasting is simply to, to set aside time in which you're, you're going to not eat or drink, or depending on the type of fast, you're going to kind of set aside your desires to eat, and instead you're going to focus on something different. So just catch already the, the attitude that must be prevalent here in this in this particular place they were setting aside their own human needs their own human activities for the sake of seeking something that was above they set aside their natural desires and replaced it with a desire for something supernatural and you can see that already because they were fasting Right, because I, I, again, I mean, I already tipped my hand about bacon and my silly obsession with food, right? I'm, I'm already, you already know, for me to fast, that's a big deal, right? That, that's, that's a big deal. And I, I can't speak for you, but I'm guessing you all look fairly well nourished that fasting is probably not a, at least a common occurrence even at the moment, right? You probably ate. And fasting is, is a, religious, a religious observance in which you're saying, I don't want to be filled with this food, but instead I want to be filled with something else. I want to set aside my desires for food, and instead I want to replace it with a desire for God's Word, for God to speak, and for God to shape us, and for God to move. And these people set aside their own human instincts. And even now, maybe your stomachs are starting to growl, 
these people were willing to set aside their human instincts, their natural instincts for experiencing something supernatural. But we also see that true in a, in a deeper sense. They weren't just not eating. It seems that they were putting aside their own self-interest to be a part of something greater. Because they just took their two best people. They just took their two most gifted, most talented, most competent leaders, and they said, instead of keeping them to ourselves, we're going to send them somewhere else so that they can bless someone else. Now, for me, that that seems the most visible, uh, I would say, in the world of sports. I don't know how you see this kind of work, but the transaction in sports kind of goes like this. You've got your best players. You pay them the most money. You protect the investment as best you can. Um, if you, any of you followed kind of the, the hoopla around basketball, um, there's a team by the name of the Miami Heat, and they're terrible. They're of the devil. Um, they're awful. And we can talk about it later. Again, neither here nor there. But they just lost their best player. And his name is LeBron James. And so even though the Heat are terrible and awful and, and they just lost last year, I, I'm going to throw out a prediction here, they're really going to lose next year. Because they just lost their best player player right and so if you don't know anything about sports or basketball forgive the sports analogy just take my word for it the heat or the devil right but now they're awesome because the best player went somewhere else right they're gonna be terrible this next year i guarantee you they're gonna be awful their best player just left here's the thing the miami heat the team that just lost the best player it wasn't their idea that wasn't their decision they would have never looked and said, you know, guys, you know what would really help us this next year? You know what would, be, would really make us better? Let's take our best player and let's send them to a bad team. Now, that's actually what happened, but it was only because the best player wanted to leave, right? No one in their right mind would look at their, their most valuable asset and go, you know what? We'd be better off without it. No one would do that. that that's against human nature. Think about it. What's, what's the most expensive thing that you own? The most expensive thing, the most valuable thing you own. Now imagine taking that most valuable thing, the most precious resource, the most valuable asset you now currently possess, and now imagine giving it away. Giving it away. Because that's what this church just did. This church not only suspended their natural desires for food, for a, a desire for the supernatural to take place, but they suspended their natural desires for their own group of people for the sake of the supernatural desire to see God work amongst the nations. These people not only set aside their desire to eat, but they set aside their own sense of self-preservation. Why? Because they were crazy? Maybe. But it's possible that maybe they saw something happening that was even better than what they had experienced when they had the year of Saul and Barnabas with them. In the same sense that if you ever feel compelled to fast, and again, this is a great conversation maybe for another day, but if you really want to experience God's Word, you really want to experience your dependence upon God, try to not live off the things you are currently dependent on, like food. And these people were willing to set aside their interests so that they could seek God. And when they did, they also set aside their interests for self-preservation. 
And they started doing amazing things. Like No one had a rank amongst these guys like Saul and Barnabas. And yet, look what they did. It says that they fasted, they prayed, and then they placed their hands on them, and then they sent them off. And so typically, the, the anointing or the placing of hands on one person who, who was a follower of Jesus, up to this point, if you remember, is simply to pass on the Holy Spirit and to anoint them with a gift. And sometimes the Holy Spirit is present in such a way that they begin to see signs and wonders take place after they've had hands placed on them. And the sign and wonder that they began to see here was that they placed their hands on him and sent them away. The reason I share this with you, the reason I think this is an important thing is that for this particular time in history, for this particular story, we have a little bit of investment. Because you see, after they placed the hands on Saul and Barnabas, they left. They went somewhere else. And then after a while, they went somewhere else. And everywhere they went, they shared this good news of who Jesus was. To different islands, to different lands, all the way to Rome. You know what happened after that? Some Christians sent some other Christians, they, they sent them even further west, even further north. One of them we know of, a guy by the name of St. Patrick. We celebrate uh, what an awesome missionary he was by getting wasted and wearing green every year, right? <laughs> Pinching people, don't know what it means. Here's the actual thing. St. Patrick was sent out by, by a church and he was sent to go to these people who didn't know the good news of Jesus. And even though they, they hurt him, they, they harmed him, they tried to kill him on multiple occasions, he, he risked his own life. He put his own natural desires away for the supernatural desire to see God work. And, and the people of Ireland began to hear the good news. Another group of people who were sent selflessly by other churches, probably all the way traced back from this place called Antioch, they got on a boat And they came all the way across an ocean to a place they called the New World. They began, as best they could, to live out following Jesus. And it's scattered across this little continent called the New World, all the way to a place called South Dakota. And some Catholic missions were set up alongside forts in order to tell the Native Americans who lived here the good news of who Jesus was. Now, this history is obviously bloody, and at some spots it's pretty nasty. But can we at least point out that had these guys not been sent off selflessly by this church, there's a possibility that you and I would have never heard this good news of who Jesus is. This is no small thing. And it's important for us because it's who we are, who we believe ourselves to be. It's my prayer for this church that we would have an Antioch moment. There would be a moment as you and I look at our own lives, first and foremost, we we recognize this good news of who Jesus is. We see that we haven't earned, we haven't earned anything. Instead, simply by God's grace, someone happened to stumble into our lives and tell us this good news. And for some of you, that may be this morning. And if you've walked into this place and you've never heard this good news, then Man, thank God, you're, you're evidence of, of this thing that God has been doing. God doesn't want you to live believing that you're far from Him. God no longer wants you to believe that He's up there and out there, but He wants to show you that because of what He's done in Jesus Christ, He is now with us. And that there's new life in Him. And no matter what your past may be, God wants to give you in Jesus Christ a future that will outweigh any of it. And God wants to show you for eternity His mercy. 
And I know these are crazy things to believe, but this is the message that sent these people off to strangers. And as you and I begin to hear this good news, as it begins to to sit into us, as we begin to really see that we're not loved by God because we deserve it, but instead we're loved by God because He is merciful and mighty, that it will begin to overflow. Because you see a theme that King keeps running through here. The good news of who Jesus is is too good to keep a secret. Any of you in here bad at keeping secrets? Right? We all know you are. You, even if you don't admit it, all the people sitting around, you already know. Right? We know the thing we told you, we told no one to tell. Yeah. Good news and bad news travel fast. In fact, gossip is kind of our tendency. We, we, want, we, we want people to think that we have inside information, and we tend to gossip as a way to have power. Right? Because that person's not here. I have power over them in this moment by telling something about them. We love to do it. We love it. But God has done something so amazing that now, in the same sense that we want to experience the power of gossip, we now have the power of the good news. The power to bring life to people. To draw them in close and say, hey, 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 you know I love you, right? Let me tell you something. Let me tell you about this Jesus, and let me tell you what my life used to look like, and let me tell you the hope that I now have for a new life ahead of me. The good news of Jesus is too good to keep a secret, and this church got it. It was so good that they couldn't keep it a secret, and it was so good that they set aside their people. This church that was in existence since the apostles was now multiplying. And not because of a sense of self-preservation, but instead a sense of multiplication. So let me throw this out to you. Your faith, individually, if, even right now, if you're like, I have a hard time believing that what he's saying is true. That's cool. I, I, I don't blame you. I've had those days. I understand. Your faith, the faith that might sustain you and give you hope to get through the day, through the week, through your life, your faith will not be sustained by self-preservation, but instead by growth, expansion, and multiplication. The faith, the grace of God that you now have, that the grace that you're even showing to me, the fact that you're not throwing tomatoes as I tell you about Jesus, that grace that's now evident among you, it's not enough. And God will continue to give you more and more, and it will continue to grow. But as Jesus tells us, if we take that thing, that gift of faith, if we take that thing and and we choose to just hide it, maybe we choose to bury it and protect it so that no one can get at it, then we've already missed the point of the faith that God has given to us. Instead, this good news of Jesus isn't meant to be kept a secret. It's meant to be multiplied. It's meant to be passed along. It's meant to be expressed in your life, in my life. It's meant to be shown to the people that you now know. And your faith and the survival of your faith actually depends upon it. That's important because this church is the same way. This little baby thing we call Connection Church right now. The way we will see God move here won't be by self-preservation. The way we see God move here won't be about simply protecting our own survival, but the way that we will see God move is if we begin to invest in multiplication. So somebody told you the good news of Jesus. Guess what your job is now? Someone shared with you that God loves you and that Jesus has made that evident to us. 
And that love is so good and that good news is so great that we can no longer keep it a secret. Guess what your job is now? Love the people around you. Be open to the opportunity to set aside, sacrifice yourself so that you might share that with them. And when you do, and when we do, we will begin to see God move and God will do something so amazing. I I dare say this, just like this moment in Antioch, it might possibly change the world. And you're like, that's crazy. No, it's not. God used this moment of a church that set aside its own self-interest and passed along this good news and these messengers, and he changed the world through it. And I am am evidence, the fact that I'm standing right here, I am evidence of this impact. So let me close with a couple of quick analogies, and I think maybe they'll help us apply this, maybe put this into our lives. You see, I I have kind of some background in agriculture. I've lived in in some small towns in my whole life and seen some things and done some things that were not too much fun. Um, Animal husbandry is the name of it, but it's it's a lot worse than that in reality, right? So uh, there's some things that happen. I don't know if you've ever seen horses. Horses, whenever they they breed them and crossbreed them with different breeds of things, you get what's called a mule. And so the mule has a strength and and, 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 the, and the ability to work and the stamina of a horse, uh, but it also has like the hardiness and toughness of a donkey. And it's a crossbreed, so you take the two very helpful and, and important traits, like a, like a horse that maybe can't survive or thrive in, in some harsher environments, some drier or more arid environments. And if you breed them with a donkey who actually can't really survive doing much work because it's pretty weak and small, if you breed them together, you get what's called a mule. And this mule is a hardy, strong Durable worker. But here's the thing. Donkey can breed with a horse and, and create mules. A donkey can breed with other donkeys and create more donkeys. A, a horse can be bred with other horses, even with a donkey, and create other things. But do you know the thing about the mule as a result of this crossbreeding? It's completely sterile. Mules, no matter how much they want to or may desire to cannot breed a mule cannot pair up with another mule and have a baby mule a mule is sterile and if that analogy might be helpful can i can i throw this out there god has given us a faith that we see here is not sterile God has done something in us. He has planted a seed inside of us that is growing and multiplying. And it has the power to expand, to grow, and to bring many who now don't know the hope of Jesus into this family. Don't be a mule. Don't be a mule. Don't be a mule. And if you're wondering what that might mean, ask yourself this, when's the last time my faith that God has given me by by His mercy and His grace has multiplied around me to the people in my networks? When's the last time my faith has grown so much? When's the last time my faith has expanded and impacted the people around you? And if you have a hard time answering it, I'm going to tell you again, don't be a mule. Let it be that God gives us this life and this life is so abundant and full that it begins to bless the people around us. So much so that they'll ask, what is with you? What is your deal? And you will have no choice but to answer, Jesus. 
Jesus did something in me, and I can't keep it a secret. But lastly, there's this, and this applies to you and to me, and and applies to this church. Don't be a mule. Be, Be a kind of creature that God means to multiply. But also this. Have you ever met someone, and I, I won't point any names because this happens in and out, and it's, it's kind of fun even in our, own, in, our, in our own experience here. Have you ever met someone who's pregnant? Right? Something awesome that happens when a pregnant person enters the room. It's really cool. You don't even look at that person anymore. You don't. You look right at the belly. Right? Now, I saw this happen with, uh, with my wife. It even creeped me out. People, complete strangers, ask a pregnant woman this, complete strangers will walk up and feel that they have the right to touch the belly on a woman, which is just weird. I don't recommend you do that, right? That's not, it's probably like ethics or something. You're not supposed to do that, right? But there's something that, something happens and, and you're drawn to it. Your eyes are drawn to it. Your attention is drawn to it. And there's something about this new life that even people's hands are like, ah, touch your baby. It's, what? You can't can't do that but there's something happened in this new life that draws people in and it draws their attention for lack of a better analogy let's be a group of people as a church that are born pregnant already bursting with new life so that when people encounter us, they won't look us in the eye. They won't even care about you and me. Instead, their attention will be drawn to the new life that God is bringing in to be. And the next time you see a pregnant woman and you can't look her in the eye because you look, her, look at her belly, remember, that's exactly the new life that Jesus has given to you and to me. That as a group of people, there is new life And as people encounter us and meet us, they won't be able to hear a word out of our mouth other than that there's new life coming into existence. Let's be the kind of people that when they see us, they're completely astounded by the new life that God has given us. Let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you so much. Um, We thank you that you love us. Uh, We thank you that you have shown us mercy. Uh, We thank you that You have been faithful to us even when we have been unfaithful to you. We ask that you would begin to bless us. God, if there's someone in here, maybe they've never heard this good news that Jesus gives them a new life. Maybe today would be the day they hear the declaration of this good news and begin to be stirred by it and changed by it. And today would be the beginning of a new life. A new life marked by so much joy that it it seems to cloud over all of the things that have happened up to this point. Uh, make this the first day of a new life that uh, it just it crowds out all of the things that seem to rob us of life. But for those of us, maybe we've heard this good news and maybe we've, we've never seen it spill over. Help us to begin to be like this church at Antioch. Help us to instead of looking around us and seeing all the blessings that have just been given to us and use them for our own sake, help us to see those blessings as means to bring glory to you outside of our current sphere of influence. Maybe if there's someone else around us, we know, and we know right now they're hurting, they're, they feel far from God, and this good news of Jesus would be the last thing they would even begin to consider. Help us to selflessly, uh, to see that and realize that we've been called to share with them, we've been called to love them, 
to carry whatever burden we can, not because we're special, but because this good news of Jesus is too good to keep a secret. God, help us not to be mules who are sterile, but instead help us to be the kind of creatures that multiply, that we can already see this happen in the last four months, God, and we thank you. We're, just, we're so blessed. Help us even in the next few months to be able to look back to this day and say, wow, since that moment, my faith has multiplied. And the good news that has been planted in my own heart has multiplied to the people around me. Help us even from a year from now to look across this group of people and begin to see the ways that you are working. And as people wander in here, they will be just completely in awe. Not because we're special, but because, God, we're messed up. We're, we're confused. But instead, they would be in awe because it's clear that you are bringing new life into existence amongst us. Help that to be the center of focus. Help this new life to be the thing that draws people in, catches their attention, captures their fascination so that they would leave changed by the good news of Jesus. We ask this, and only by the power of your Spirit could it be a reality. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.